All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are a partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing this morning? Doing great, Andrew. Uh, looking forward to our guest here today. Uh, why don't you give us the intro? We'll get right into it. Yeah, we're excited to have with us today special guest, Anthony DeLuca. So Anthony began playing junior hockey in the Q, the QMJHL from 2012 to 2015. Also won the championship during that uh, his final year. Following his junior days, he went on to sign his first uh, pro contract in the ECHL in 2015. And from that point on, Anthony has continued to play pro hockey all around the world, including overseas and even winning an EIHL championship title during that time. And recently returned back to North America to suit up in the ECHL to finish the previous season. We've got a lot to talk about today, and we are excited to finally have with us Anthony DeLuca. Anthony, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on here, guys. So I, I want to start from the beginning, Anthony. It's what we normally like to do with our guests. So let's let's talk about your playing days in the QMJHL. So obviously, uh, you being from Canada, that's that's a big choice for a lot of you guys that are trying to play competitive hockey. What made you decide to first of all, as as a Canadian, how do you choose between the junior leagues if that's even a choice, really? And what was your experience during your time there? I mean, uh, yeah, actually. Um... Funny, funny you mentioned that. I uh, I had no intention of going to the queue as a kid. Uh, I uh, I kind of grew up uh, well, around the English area of Montreal, and it was more talk about the NCAA and you know um, basically going uh, going over to the states and try to get a degree over there. And um, I, I was lucky enough to commit pretty early to UVM. It was uh, I was obviously very grateful for them. It was it was. A- the microphone disconnected here. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Basically, um, going in last year before the uh, before the draft. I don't know if you guys still hear me here. Yes. Sorry about this. That's okay. The AirPods keep dropping out on me. Um, yeah. So like I was saying, as I was going into that uh, first year of the draft, I told all. You know, I was committed to UVM and uh, I was actually committed and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to pick my team or anything. It was actually, uh, it was a legitimate commitment. And uh, yeah, the year after going to uh, the USHL camp, I was in Cedar Rapids at the time. Um, I just couldn't really see myself playing there. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about it a bit off uh, air that you guys are from the Midwest and obviously no disrespect, but as a, 16 year old I couldn't see myself uh, going from a city like Montreal to you know going to play in Cedar Rapids for for two years I I was just too immature and too you know I wasn't I literally wasn't mature enough to be there and and concentrate on hockey and be able to perform so yeah. that's when I uh, I kind of made my choice of going to the queue which was you know closer from home I realized that I wanted to be close to my family and friends um, and it was minutes before the draft that I kind of changed my mind. And, uh, luckily enough, Ramuski called the, uh, Phil Boucher was the GM at the time. He, he's, he asked me, you know, if, if we do draft you, would you just come see the city? Would you come see the facilities and, you know, basically see how it is. And we'll try to try to show you that it's a good, uh, environment around here. And I agreed to go on the tour and, kind of just fell in love from there and just honestly it was one of the greatest experiences of my life playing junior hockey in Ramuski was unbelievable I mean 
everyone hears about how Sidney Crosby went through there and, you know, how great of an organization it is, but it truly is once you do go through there, it's, it's unbelievable. And you progress uh, rapidly. I think your last season, I'm looking at stats. You got 44 goals, 91 points. You were a plus 32. Andrew doesn't <laughs> like plus or minus ratings, but a plus 32. Um, so tell us, uh, what do you remember about uh, particularly that last season? I mean, 91 points. Yeah, it was uh, my three seasons there were absolute, absolute great years and three, uh, three years that I'll always remember. But yeah, that definitely that starting in that second year is where I really started to progress. And I led the team in scoring that second year. Uh, and that's kind of where I got my confidence again. And just, you know, I wanted to rip up that league. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get invited to the um, Subway Series in that year to play against Russia in the first year and also in my, uh, well, my second year, my uh, junior career and also my third year. So yeah, that was probably one of the coolest experience too in, uh, in junior. And I mean, once that third year, you know, rolled around, I kind of knew it was my last shot of winning a championship. And we, uh, we had, we had a team built to win a championship that year. So it was, it was pretty focused off the get-go. So it was pretty cool to be with such a good, good group of guys that really wanted to win. And, you know, we, we knew we were going to end up at the Mem Cup somehow, some way. So it was just, it was cool to be around such a good vibe and just, you know, basically everyone was a winner and it really showed that year. It was just a bunch of leaders, a bunch of good, uh, good kids that were following and honestly just a good group, man. It's, it's rare to, it's rare that you have such a good tight group, but I mean, that group was unbelievable. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the crowd for, for, for the QMJHL and really any of the other leagues as well. You know, we've, we've heard that they do pretty well. And we've seen the Phoenix Coyotes, um arena lately a lot of people dogging on them and saying that you have a lot of uh junior teams that pull in ten thousand people or more what was your experience like and you know from some midwest guys being over here what what is that crowd like and how serious is everybody over there about junior hockey i mean yeah it's it's definitely it's like yeah i can't even put it into words to be honest it's uh it's like playing in a mini nhl when you're a kid you know so it's just you're you're amazed every night I mean I was lucky enough to play in a building that we would sit uh I think it was five and a half thousand fans in a junior building so it's man not I know a lot of pro teams that don't get that so it's it's kind of wild to be thinking that on on average we were averaging over 35 to four four thousand a night which is you know pretty amazing on a junior season and I mean at the end of the year it was you couldn't find a ticket so it was, yeah, it was really a cool experience. Honestly, the, the playoffs, everything, it was, it was something I'll definitely never forget. And I mean, the fans there have been more than, more than welcoming and it's, it's literally like a second home there. So, I mean, it was a beautiful experience that I'll always cherish and something my family cherishes. It's honestly, it's a beautiful spot for me. Ramuski will always stay a second home. So one of my favorite questions, going from junior to signing your first pro contract, first of all, how did that come about? And then I guess the net, the follow-up question would be, what was the transition like from playing with basically kids to now you're playing with grown men? Uh, it's a job, they're supporting families. So how, uh, how did you get your first pro contract? Run us through that. Yeah. I mean, uh, after that, after that year in, uh, at the Mem Cup and all, I mean, 
my agent at the time kind of thought I didn't uh, didn't really have anything to do left in junior, which in hindsight, I, I think that was a mistake. I think as a 20-year-old, you should definitely stay in junior and rip it up. It's definitely where all the eyes are and not necessarily in the coast, but hindsight is, uh, is a lot easier, right? So, I mean, yeah, it was um, going into that year. My agent had suggested that I go with uh, my agent at the time. Sorry, it suggested uh, that I go there. And uh, at first, I was told that I would be at an AHL camp at the beginning of the year, which didn't end up happening. So, I mean, yeah, there was a, it was a weird, weird kind of transition, to be honest. Almost like you know, I was I was pushed there, but um, yeah, then I got to Witchy on a uh, on a rookie level contract. Obviously, in the East Coast, was which. I guess a lot of people know isn't much. I think it was like 520 a week at the time. So, yeah, I mean, you're playing uh, in one of the toughest leagues in the world uh, with men, like you said, um, that, you know, at 20 years old, you're not necessarily ready for. And I think uh, I think I was still a kid at the time. And it would, it would have definitely been beneficial for me to be playing junior at the time because I, I was not ready for the East Coast. And it's a rough and tough game with some bigger boys. And yeah, if you show up, you know, not necessarily expecting that, or if you're not necessarily a bigger body, it's, you're going to have a hard time for sure. Yeah. And so after your first year in the ECHL, you, you played for the Wichita Thunder and then the Alaska Aces for the majority of the season. And then after that, Anthony, help us piece together the story here. You go on to play at Concordia University for a full mm-hmm. season. And then that year after you make your way to Denmark before um, kind of going to the EIHL kind of back to, to North America in 2018, 2019. So from 2016, 2018 kind of bring us through what, what, what was the university thing? And then Denmark of all places kind of bring us through that. Yeah. I mean, um, so what happened there is uh, I had, after coming off the uh, East coast season, when I got home, I, I had found out that my, uh, my grandfather was sick. Uh, he had he had got cancer, and uh, I, w- I was really close to my grandfather. We golfed once or twice a week together, and you know uh, I was yeah we we're kind of the closest thing to each other. And um, yeah, when I found out he was sick, it was kind of a no brainer for me that I had to find a way to be at home as most as possible and try to spend as much time possible with him. And um, yeah, I mean the only really solutions were playing at Concordia or, uh, or uh, McGill. So at the time, you know, Concordia was talking to me and I had never really given it thought to go back to university, but I mean, with, with the situation being that, you know, I wanted to be close to my grandfather and all, I think it was just, uh, it was a perfect opportunity to stay home for one year. Uh, yeah. People don't really necessarily know that and kind of just think that I went to Concordia I didn't have offers but I mean no that definitely wasn't the case it was it was definitely for family reasons and I'm I, I am glad that I did do that you know it uh it, it brought me back and kind of recentered me and you know it kind of propulsed my career afterwards it definitely took some time after losing my grandfather but I mean yeah it was uh it was a tough year to go through but I mean I think I, I think I made him proud at Concordia with almost a goal per game so I mean yeah, he uh, he definitely uh, he definitely enjoyed that last season. And how did you uh, end up in Denmark, real quick? Yeah, I'm, so that year actually, uh, the World Juniors were in Montreal, 
and um, Team Denmark had come to Montreal a bit early, trying to play uh, play a couple teams while they were here. And uh, the university break um, is like a month during um, during Christmas time for exam period and stuff like that. So our coach knew that a lot of us wanted to play and keep keep in shape, obviously during the uh, during the month break. And yeah, he had he had asked basically Team Denmark if they wanted to come to Concordia and play us. So we ended up playing Team Denmark, and uh, I ended up having a real good game that game. Um, and just just so happened that someone on the team, uh, basically his father was a, an agent in Denmark, and he kind of saw me through that game, and that's how everything got started. And he he was actually in Frederickstown where I ended up, so. He spoke to the coach there. He ended up setting up that deal, and he was uh, he brokered that deal for that for that year. So I just want to uh, back up one moment here before we move forward. Um, when you're playing um, in Alaska um, and you didn't play there long, uh, first of all, what was it like playing in Alaska? Because you got to fly everywhere for games, and uh, obviously you're, you're under uh, Rob Murray. Yeah. Oh yeah. And how? Well, just because of the Tulsa thing, and we've yet to get uh, Murr on the show. And uh, uh, what was it like playing uh, for uh, Murray? I mean, um, yeah, it was it was something. <laughs> it was, um, I will always remember my first day in Alaska. That is for sure. Um, when I told my buddies that story, they couldn't even believe it. It was the wild. I don't even know if I could say it. It's yeah, it's, I mean, Murr's a great coach. He, uh, he likes to, he likes to set authority and kind of loses his cool from time to time. But I mean, yeah, it's what, with hindsight, it's kind of hilarious when you look back at it, but yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely a character. Man. He, he would be, he'd be a funny time to have on the show. Let's, uh, I don't know what more I can say than that, but yeah, it's, uh, He's, he's, he's something special. Cool, cool. All right, so now it brings us to uh, the bulk of your, your playing career thus far, and that's uh, in the Elite League over in uh, United Kingdom and with Sheffield, and we spoke off-air that we actually have uh, quite a few subscribers uh, in Sheffield. You are very popular. You're basically almost guaranteed 20-plus goals a season. Um, fans loved you there. Tell us a little bit about Sheffield. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Chef is, I mean, we were talking about how great Ramuski was and this and that, but I mean, yeah, Sheffield is the, the best thing I've gotten pro hockey, uh, compared to that, you know, I mean, it was the most, the place that made me feel most at home. Um, you know, it's, it's literally, that's, that's the best explanation for it. You, you feel at home and you don't feel like you want to go back to Canada necessarily. So it's, you know, you're comfortable being there. You want to be there. And that, that's what makes you perform. I mean, all the season that I've kind of, you know, been homesick and this and that is where I've had a hard time. But I've never felt homesick in Sheffield. You know, people make me feel at home. And it's it's that's why I love going back there. It was just an unbelievable experience. And the fans were A1. The arena's A1. The organization, everything from A to Z. I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's really a great organization. 
Yeah, and so I'm curious too. Um, you know, we like to ask this question quite a bit. How would you compare, let's say, both the Denmark league that you played in and the EIHL? How would you compare those two leagues to uh, the East Coast league, as an example? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very tough, right, to compare all leagues. But I mean, especially going from the North American ice surface to the European, that's that's where you see the biggest difference. But I'd say that compared from the Danish league to the uh, elite league, I think there was um, more speed in the Danish league and maybe not as skilled as the elite league as you have a lot of, you know, and not just, not necessarily say older players, but players that with experience that have come from other great leagues, you know, you always see a couple KHL guys, uh, lots of times NHL guys too, that, you know, other leagues don't necessarily get, I mean, Denmark does still get that quality, but not as often as the UK that often, that offer the school package and that attract guys like that. So, I mean, yeah, the UK is definitely uh, a bit more of a skillful league, but maybe not as fast. And Danish league is, was very fast at the time. I mean, I could be wrong now, but I I remember it being very fast and the East coast is best explained as its name, (laughs) the jungle. (laughs) It is an absolute jungle out there. You have to be alert at all times because you have no clue what's happening. It's, I mean, yeah, for a skilled player, it's not as fun. I'd rather play in Europe, and obviously my stats reflect that. I, I'm not as dominant in the East Coast for some reason, but, uh, yeah, I just uh, – I think it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a rough and tough uh, power forward game. I think if you're, if you're a big boy in the East Coast that can move some bodies around and be in front of the net, you're going to be effective. But, you know, I'm – I'm more of a skill game and that's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I mean, do guys do have a lot of success in that league. So obviously, obviously me. Yeah. So it's our understanding in Sheffield that there's a a particular celebration ritual. I forget what they call it. Um, The Eddie. Yeah. The Eddie. So uh, what did you do? I mean, uh, yeah, there's, there's been a couple Eddie's down the road. I mean, my, my first one was, uh, my first one was probably the most memorable one doing the guitar down the, on my knees down the, uh, down the ice. But yeah, there's been a couple, uh, there's been a couple down the road. I can't even remember all of them. I know at one point, uh, through the Super Bowl, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of football stuff going on. There's been a lot of, a lot of random stuff. Honestly, you guys have got really creative with it. It's, uh, it's been it's been a pretty cool tradition that they do there. Honestly, they, their whole setup of before and after the game is pretty remarkable. Honestly, for especially for a European team, it's so uh, it's it's really up there. Honestly, it's a it's a beautiful experience to go watch a game there. So, uh, speaking with some other players uh, that have played uh, in uh, Glasgow, played in in Manchester, uh, they complain about Sheffield, and I didn't know that Sheffield was sort of the hated team. So I. The complaint we hear is uh, Sheffield uh, kind of flaunts with their money. I guess there's a good stadium, obviously good fan base, but uh, it, it, do you think that's true? Is Sheffield got maybe a little bit more of a classier place or is it just more money to throw around? We're trying to get a, a feel for the uh, EIHL. I mean, yeah, I definitely think that uh, a lot of the a lot of the teams don't, I mean, most of the teams don't like Sheffield, but uh, yeah, it's it's the mix of, you know, 
there it's a it's a very big fan base that is very loud it's very i wouldn't say cocky because they do win so i mean at the end of the day it's you know merited uh you know but it it's a lot of in your face when we do win uh you know and we double down when we lose so it's uh, there's no really backing off if you're a Sheffield fan. It's pretty aggressive, and it's uh, they love their team, which is really cool for the players. And obviously, going to play in Sheffield is a really tough, tough ordeal. It's a big barn. Uh, other than Nottingham and Belfast, it's obviously the biggest, uh, biggest barn in the UK. And uh, it's like I said, it's just really intimidating to play there. So I think people just kind of hate coming there. They know Sheffield has money. Uh, they obviously throw around money to guys that, you know, they, they sign big names because of that. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of a situation that I don't know if it's a jealousy or, you know, just a mix of kind of everything, but I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, no one wants to see the guys at top going, doing well, right. Everyone wants to catch them. So. Right. Yeah. And so moving on then, so we're, let, let's say we're now in 2020, we're, we're now hitting the pandemic era and um, you finish up the season with Sheffield in 2020. You had a great season, 26 goals, 47 points in 42 games. And then the uh, pandemic hits. And then of course, help us piece together here. You end up going, I believe from 2020 through 2021, just in Germany, only played seven games. And then the year after was back uh, with Sheffield again. So what, what kind of happened when you got told about, the pandemic did the EIHL at the time cancel where you guys already done kind of bring us through that and how you ended up in Germany and then back to Sheffield all during that craziness. Yeah. So um, basically during the pandemic, we had, we had just won a challenge cup like week before um, we were suiting up for a game and owner came in the room, told us pack up our stuff. We're going to be getting out of uh, Sheffield before this pandemic hits, basically sending us home. Um, as I was going home, you know, I had, I basically had a ton of stuff on me, uh, like, uh, just too much luggage and stuff like that. So I, I kind of spoke to the team, this and that, and he was like, uh, Oni, sorry, the owner, Tony, uh, just told me, yeah, leave your stuff in the apartment. We're going to get a deal done. You're going to be back here. So, you know, that was, was pretty, uh, pretty nice to hear. And, you know, basically, a breath of fresh air before leaving Sheffield. So I kind of just left some luggages there and took off thinking I'd be back in a month or two, not knowing what this pandemic would be. Obviously no one did. And um, yeah, so I, uh, I kind of just left the Canada thinking, you know, I'd be going back in a couple months, get my stuff and starting a new season. And um, as the season was coming closer and closer, my deal was obviously signed and I was going to Sheffield. It was, everything was fine, but, the season just kind of never opened up. So uh, my uh, a buddy at the time, uh, Marco Valera, well, buddy at the time, but still buddy, Marco uh, told me that uh, he was going to Italy and he wanted me to go with them. And for me, it was kind of just too short notice and, uh, you know, last minute. And I'd, I kind of pulled out and basically uh, my, my agent, which is uh, Marco's agent, was still trying to find me a deal because he he thought I had to get games in and obviously uh, everyone wanted to play games that year which was pretty tough during the during the pandemic and one of the only places that was constantly open was Germany so uh, at the time I wasn't uh, I wasn't so keen about going 
to the German third league, but I mean, yeah, it's, it did happen. Um, again, with hindsight, wish I didn't go because um, it doesn't necessarily look good on your career to be in that German third league, you know, trying to find a job nowadays. And when I got there, basically uh, what happened that uh, once again, I mean, when you look at the stats, it doesn't show, but yeah, I got there the first game. Uh, I landed that day, played that night, um, did fine. I would, I had had five games. Yeah, I had played about five games uh, and had six points in five games or five points in five games. And um, then caught COVID while I was there. So, oh. yeah. So basically played, uh, we found out that a team had played two players that had COVID. So that, yeah, basically that team gave, gave me COVID. And the day after I was in a, in a hotel for the next two weeks. So I was there for a month and a day. And within those month, within that month and a day, I was two weeks in a hotel quarantine. So yeah, there was not much I could do at the, at the time I couldn't eat. It was COVID had hit me really bad. I was, you know, pretty shaken up. Um, so the last day of the, uh, of the quarantine, they brought me to see a doctor to see if I was cleared to play. The doctor didn't clear me to play <laughs> and told me that I would at least need two more weeks of recovery before, you know, stepping on the ice. It would be too hectic for my body. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have any energy. I wouldn't have, you know, he just explained the, basically what COVID does to you. <laughs> so um yeah and at the time the team uh obviously being in a german three league uh didn't have any other imports than me myself and uh, jonathan phillips so yeah it was kind of not an option for me not to play you know so they did play me regardless of the doctor's recommendation and in those two games that i played i was awful like absolutely awful which is the honest truth, I mean, I don't know what more I could have done with COVID in me. So uh, couldn't really skate, couldn't breathe or anything. I was really having a hard time uh, catching my breath. Um, yeah, and then it kind of just, you know, after those two games, he, he just, their their coach kind of just assumed I didn't want to be there and, you know, this and that. And I, we had spoke and I, I had spoke to him and said, you know, like I'm not supposed to be playing right now. I'm doing I'm doing this because we don't have any other imports and I want to help the team win. But at the, at the same time, I'm, I'm useless out there. You know, it is what it is, but so, yeah, with that being said, we, we ended up having a meeting. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of didn't, didn't end up working out on a, a lot of other things too. Uh, we were, you know, John and I were asking them just to, just to speak English and if, if they can explain the, the game plan in English and stuff like that and, they kept telling us yes, and every game was the same. They would just talk German. So I mean, John and I would go out there with having not a clue what to do. So it was it was just a tough situation. And at the end of the day, me and John and I were just kind of you know we we knew we had to get out of there. It just wasn't it wasn't working out necessarily. And it's unfortunate that you know it didn't work out because we would have liked to get more games in or just should have went to another league at the end of the day when you think of it. But I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was a COVID season. So it's, it's a tough guess to if I should have went, if I shouldn't have, but like I said, with hindsight, you know, it's, it's always easier to just look back and know the answer, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, Anthony, so from, from the view of a professional athlete then that's in the grind trying to make it to the top, during, you know, you caught COVID, and I'm sure there was even times where before you got to Germany, you probably went a good amount of time without skating. You know, we hear a lot of the hockey players not skating for months at a time. I mean, a lot of places were closed, too. What was it like for you as a pro with everything being so up in the air? I know as my band, we, we traveled and toured and did stuff for seven years and it left the music industry in shambles. You know, nobody's playing shows, nobody's making money. And it, it's, it was a bad time as a professional athlete, though. What was kind of going through your mind with all that unknown and then even catching COVID and going, yeah, this thing is real and it's wrecking people, including even myself, a healthy athlete. What's, what was kind of going through your mind during that time? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely stressful. It's definitely, um, it's, it's tough to not know what's going on and just, you know, hope for the best. I mean, it's, you know, you, you hear all these optimistic people, oh, just, yeah, just always think positive. But I mean, once you're in it, it's tough to do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really every day looking down the barrel and saying like, you know, like trust, trust yourself, you know, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You know, it's, you gotta trust yourself. That's, that's the end of the day. You gotta, you gotta know something's coming. And, but with a pandemic, you can't really know what's coming. So it's, that's where it becomes tough, you know? And I, I think during that time, it was not being able to go to a gym. So trying to find your stuff at home, trying to figure out little workouts at home, then not having ice anywhere, you know, that was, like you said, everything was closed and, I was lucky enough that there there was an outdoor rink that was pretty close to my house. So I'd get on there at least twice or three times a week to get a skate in. But I mean, what can you possibly do at an outdoor rink? You know what I mean? It's not, it's not the training that you'd be doing on, you know, with a team with, you're not practicing. It's just, it's flow games. It's fun, you know, and then when everyone gets off the ice, you do your own thing, but you know, 15 minutes at the end of a session isn't going to, isn't going to get you to a pro level. I mean, you obviously have to, you have to be on the ice skating with pros. And it's, that's, I think that's where I was the most stressed about not being ready for that game. But I mean, obviously I think everyone was in the same boat going into that situation. So going into Germany, I was maybe a a bit too stressed not didn't really think that everyone would be in that same boat and think everyone was going to be miles ahead of me but at the end of the day it was and no disrespect but it was germany three i wasn't going to anything i wasn't going to the dell or you know like something that you absolutely have to be in the perfect perfect shape that or else you can't play whatsoever you know what i mean so like i said no disrespect to germany three but i think uh yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot of leagues that I wouldn't have just been able to jump in mid pandemic and, you know, put up points. So you jump back uh, after the pandemic, uh, uh, you jump back in with Sheffield again, and then um, you have a drug test, which has been sort of like this, uh, not a controversy, but uh, definitely uh, big news for Sheffield and the EIHL. Um, and from what I understand and, and, you know, you can, uh, clarify anything, uh, uh, apparently, you know, back at, back home before the season, uh, where, uh, marijuana is legal and, uh, here our listeners know Andrew owns a, uh, 
medical marijuana dispensary. So, uh, you know, we're kind of hip to, uh, and I don't want to get Andrew on a tangent because he'll talk for an hour about it, <laughs> but you know, that there's a lot of benefits, uh, for the, uh, uh, CBD and, and THC. But anyway, you, uh, you have, uh, you have that going on at home and that stays in your system early September, 2021, you, you have just a, a drug test and it's positive for uh, having uh, marijuana in your system, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, so every, everybody freaks out and it's kind of like my 90 year old man, all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not enhancing. It's not steroids. And my 90 year old dad would be like, Oh my God, he's smoking the dope. <laughs> I mean, uh, it seems to be that's the reaction. Uh, but, you know, w w w what happened? And uh, then, you know, we can talk about that's how you kind of had to make a move back to the East Coast League. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like what you said exactly at the beginning. Um, so it is legal in Canada and it does have many beneficial uses. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 not necessarily seen that way all over the world and that's fine. You know, it's, it's not legal everywhere, but I mean, like you said, your, your son owns a, uh, you know, your son owns a, um, a dispensary, medical dispensary. And I think in just with that being said, a medical dispensary, there's obviously benefits to it. But I mean, with that being said, it definitely wasn't my system. And I do, I did agree to that, you know, in front of, the judge and I, I would never lie about that. It was in my system. I do agree to that. But the fact of the matter is it was done in Canada, you know, and in a legal, in a legal uh, country. And it was 17 days before the drug test. Um, it is, it is known to stay in, in your system for 30 days as the uh, 30 days and, and some. Uh, so yeah, as the, uh, as the judge saw and as the, the board saw that it was, a very it was a very likely possibility that it was in Canada and it wasn't in the UK I mean their whole case was that I had smoked the day of the game which is obviously ridiculous I wouldn't smoke the day of a game it makes absolutely no sense to show up to a game high um, and at in that deposition you know I had also said I don't know if you've noticed this but that first game that we played we played the uh, it was against the Cardiff Devils and I actually had a point on the first goal of the game. So, I mean, I don't know how effective you could be while playing high and still get a point. It would kind of make absolutely no sense whatsoever. But as like as, as the deposition went on, they obviously saw how ridiculous it kind of was to say that I had smoked on the day of the game. And it was clearly just in my system from before. And that's why it was only issued a three-month ban. You know, it was... It was in my system, like I said. I, I do agree to that. I completely admit to it. I'll, I won't shy away from it. But I also won't say that I smoked the day of the game because that didn't happen. It was absolutely ridiculous. It's unheard of. And no, like it just is what it is. And I'm glad that they they saw it how, how it is. And, you know, the three-month ban, people say that I didn't serve my sentence. But, I mean, I left at the beginning of the year and lost out on a lot of money playing in the, the uh, EIHL, uh, sorry, in the East Coast over the EIHL. And it's not, not a disrespect to the East Coast Hockey League, but it's just not the same money as, you know, overseas. So 
yeah, I, I lost out on a year's salary. Uh, I lost out on a year of playing in Europe. I lost out on a big reputation, took a big reputation hit. Uh, people, for some reason, don't even think it's marijuana. They believe it's something else. Some people were saying it was Coke and stuff, and that's absolutely outrageous. They can read the report themselves. It's online. I have nothing to hide whatsoever. It is, like I said, it was in my system. I admit to it. I admit to my wrongdoings, but the rest, it's, it was clearly wrong and they, and they saw it to be wrong. So, you know, they, they admitted to it and clearly it's a three month ban for a reason. And in December, I mean, you have to make a choice to, uh, you know, if you're going to continue to get games in, you kind of have no choice but to jump, you know, quickly on a on another league and get games in. And I think that's uh, probably something that Andrew and I were able to clearly see, but maybe fans who are a little bit uh, obsessive about their team uh, all of a sudden might be like, oh, my God, he you know, Duke just, you know, suddenly left town, but it's like, what are you going to do? If you can't play, you need to go and get games in. Correct. Yeah, trust me. Yo, yes. A hundred percent. And I mean, like you said, um, like you said before, you know, I, I, I was loved in Sheffield and I loved Sheffield and I still do love Sheffield. That's the reality of it. I, if it were, you know, if it were up to me, I would have never left. And, you know, I, I stayed till the very last minute that I could. And uh, once I got the notification uh, that, you know, the drug test had been tested positive for THC, I had had a meeting with the, uh, the owners and the coach of uh, Sheffield. And, you know, they kind of questioned me on if, if it was only THC and uh, basically, you know, that uh, if it was anything else, they couldn't really stand by me, which I was absolutely fine with, obviously, uh, because I, I knew there was nothing else in my system. I knew what I had done, what I had done and what I hadn't done. And obviously, like I admitted openly, there was weed in my system. That's It's not a problem. I will admit to my wrongdoings. But the rest, I'm not going to take a bad name for something I didn't do. That's just the reality of it. And, you know, they they did they did read the report and obviously saw that, you know, there was nothing but THC in my system. And, you know, they did. I didn't do it to enhance my performance. I didn't do it to cheat. I didn't do it for any wrongdoing or to disappoint anyone. That's the reality of it. It's I did it to relax. And, you know, it's, it's there, like we said before, there's medical, uh, there's medical benefits to it that I don't necessarily need to get into that help myself, you know, uh, in, in certain situations. And it was, yeah, it was used medically in the summer and that's, it is what it is. I mean, I, yeah. I completely admit to it once again. And, but for the rest, I'm sorry, I don't do that. I'm an athlete. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't do any other drugs that, that can harm my body. I don't, it is what it is. I, yeah, I admit to my wrongdoings. Yeah. And Anthony, you know, to not make more of a, a big deal out of it, but of course, just to get, um, you know, my word in there as well. Um, you know, I've got my opinions on it. Everybody probably already understands what that would be. Um, mm -hmm. But just as an athlete's point of view and uh, word it however you'd like, but I am curious, do you see um, this stuff being used? Cause you know, it, it's going to get to a point. It'll all be medically and recreationally legal in America too. Um, and just, this is just speaking America. This is where my father and I live and um, do you, are you going to see it using as like maybe a therapy or some sort of medicine for athletes at some point? 
I can tell you it is not a performance enhancement for athletes. It doesn't really make you want to do much other than sit around. So um, for as far as relaxation, pain, things like that, do you see it being used in the future, being widely accepted? Or do you think kind of in that pro athlete world, it's still that's a very stained image if you were to kind of do those things? I mean, the way I kind of see it is, and the, the easiest way to explain it to people is when you take a step back and look back at, you know, obviously, I guess you'd say history, right? You, you'd say back in the day, alcohol was seen as an awful thing and it was illegal and it was traded illegally and sold illegally. It is, that's how life works. And eventually weed will be legal and this will all be blown over and nothing will be seen as a bad thing. But if it is being recreationally used in most of the states, all of Canada, and obviously lots of other places in the world are starting to open up to it and realizing, oh, this is maybe a more benefits than actual, you know, harm. So I think if it is used under the right circumstance, it definitely would help athletes. But I also do think that it'll take time for this to be an open thing, unless there is one or several big athletes that openly come up and change the game. That's the only way I see this happening because no one at the moment really says anything other than the basketball world, how it's now legal. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, Times have obviously changed a bit, like we saw, like I, like I just mentioned, the basketball world is slowly changing it and accepting THC. And, you know, as, as some people know, in the bubble, uh, they, did, they did provide THC for the players and it was, you know, like a helpful remedy type thing. And that was in the deal of going to the, uh, to the bubble. So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely benefits or else these things wouldn't be accepted. So I don't think... Right. I don't think with all the, you know, the, the science, the background and all the, the information we have on all this and all the, basically all the data we have on all this, I think if it was so bad, it wouldn't become legalized ever. It would just not, it would just not be an option. We wouldn't even be talking about it. It was just so, I mean, to each their own, right? It is, it is what yeah. it is. And I, like you said, you, you, you've seen the big picture early and you opened up the business and I'm sure you're doing unbelievable for yourself because anyone who got into the cannabis business early does well. So, I mean, obviously it's, uh, if you're doing well in the business world, it's kind of an, kind of a direction that, you know, that's where the world is going to eventually. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, inevitable eventually it'll just be there so like i said it's kind of like the alcohol situation it'll take time but it's yeah people won't even be talking about weed in a couple of years it'll just be a normalized thing so before we get to um our lightning round where we're going to test your brain some quick reaction <laughs> questions about uh your playing career um obviously you're far from being done with your playing career without uh giving us any information we shouldn't know um <laughs> what's what's happening now here in the summer um yeah well i mean uh, i don't mind like i can tell you the most i can i guess um i've been yeah i've been speaking to a couple teams lately now that uh this ban has been open um i think teams were obviously very hesitant to to even talk to me at the beginning when 
when it was kind of just up in the air and they didn't know if it was going to be a two year or a three month and this and that, I mean, I was always confident it was going to be at the three month, but uh, it's just, we didn't know when that date was obviously going to be set. And now that it is for September 21st, I think teams are uh, starting to starting to open up and realize that, Oh, maybe this wasn't as bad as we thought it was. And um, yeah, there's, there's a, uh, there's interest in the UK. Um, definitely uh definitely not by sheffield they they made that open uh in the paper <laughs> by saying they wouldn't sign me but uh yeah i mean that's completely fine that's that's their choice and uh like you said before i mean i think i proved proved to myself that i can score 20 goals in that league and uh if i do get back to that league this year or uh yeah whenever it is i mean i think i'm gonna i think i want to change that narrative from 20 to 30 but <laughs> other than yeah. that it's other than that yeah i mean uh, i think I've, I've i think i've proved myself in the uk and obviously it, it it hurts to not get an offer from them but i mean you move on and it is what it is but uh yeah it's more uh it's more for those fans and you know i i like i said before i love the fans there and i, I would love to come back for those fans honestly it was uh it was an unbelievable experience and just living in sheffield was really cool it was it was something really uh like i said to ramuski i'll cherish forever and um yeah i'm definitely not closing the door to sheffield like ever again but i'm for this year i I think it's been pretty clear on their end that they don't want to sign me which is like i said absolutely fine so we're going to finish here with with our lightning round question so if the first name that pops up if there's a story uh feel free but you know you could just give us a name so i'll start the toughest, and this will be, I guess, from your junior days till now, um, okay. toughest goalie to score against. Whoa, uh, toughest goalie to score against till you're saying till now. Wow. Um, I mean, there's so many. I think the the, I wouldn't say the toughest, but the coolest goalie I've, I've ever score, scored against was uh, Jack Campbell. Um, he was he was in a um, Quick story. He was in a uh, basically he was in LA and broke his hand, so they got he got sent down to the American Hockey League. But for some reason, I guess their goalies were playing well at the time or something like that. So he got sent down to the East Coast, <laughs> and we uh, we were playing him that week. Uh, and the first game he put he put up a shutout, uh, just being an absolute stud. And uh, the next game we uh, we ended up playing him. I was. Yeah, I was kind of just looking at the looking at the D um, man at the top and kind of just let a wrister go while not looking at the uh, the net and just caught him, surprised him, went far down, and uh, he uh, coolest thing he he kind of he came to see me after the game. We were at a bar in Boise, and uh, yeah, he being the sick guy that he is, just came up to me and. You know, hey, you're the kid that sniped me today. Eh? So I was like, oh yeah, that's uh, can't believe can't believe Jack Campbell's talking to me right now. You know, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's me. I'm 20 years old type thing. Barely be in this bar, but um, yeah. And then uh, he kind of just took the night over and just paid for the drinks for the rest of the night. He's like, yeah, I, I owe you, man. You got me. <laughs> just nice. took uh, took care of the rest of the night. Yeah, I was I was really lucky to. Uh, Spend uh, spend a night with him. I'm sure he doesn't remember, but I I definitely do. Who who was the rat in your career? Who just got under your skin the most? 
uh, to play against or to play with? To play against. Oh, to play against. I mean, um, I would – that's a tough question. I'm trying to think. I mean, the most the, – yeah, I mean, the, the one that I could think of off the top of my head is only because I played with him, but the year before I hated him uh, was Brandon Connolly. Until I, until I actually met Cons, I absolutely despised the guy, but <laughs> – he was such a good player in uh, in Glasgow, and he kind of just would always rip us apart. And he just had such a big mouth, so he yeah, he was so tough to play against, and but so fun to play with. Obviously, he was my line mate the year after, and uh, it's I had really great success with Cons and love love him to death. I put man, I would not want to play against Cons. That that is for sure. But. Who is the when I say the strongest uh, defenseman? Um, I don't mean uh, fighting wise. I mean, you know, like a like a prong or someone that you can't move in front of the net. He he can just clear you right out of the front of the goalie. Who's the strongest defenseman? Um, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Uh, I mean, yeah, in the East Coast, there's so many. I mean, I can't even think of all the names. There's so many guys, but I'm just thinking of a guy that. I would have played with and in the in the recent years uh a guy that i kind of admired that he was just um just a very simple but effective d-man and obviously it it showed why he played nhl games was uh keaton ellerby we played together in uh, sheffield last year for uh, for the start of the year and such a humble and uh down-to-earth guy and he's he's such an effective defenseman he's he was unbelievable for us and people kind of didn't notice how good he was and, uh, but unbelievable defenseman. And I'd also say either him, uh, another two warriors that absolutely come to mind are uh, two guys that played also in Sheffield would be, uh, Aaron Johnson, absolute legend of a guy. He was played out a long time in the NHL and just what a great career, great guy. Just, uh, very uh, a one guy couldn't couldn't say more any better things than this, than that to that guy he's an unbelievable human being and then Aaron Bro- Brocklehurst was another beast he was one of the toughest old man strength in front of the net just he'll get you out of there no matter what no hair on the head but trust me he'll get you out it was uh, <laughs> yeah he was absolute old man strength and he knew it he he he'd always joke about it he didn't didn't work out just show up farm boy strong and you know he was uh he's a beast man so anti put put we got to put somebody on blast here who who had the worst ice conditions and you can go back to juniors too but but not the german league minus the german league minus the german minus the worst ice conditions yeah i mean i mean yeah um whew, good question you know actually now that i think of it it was at the beginning of the year that I was in uh, Wichita, we had a very hard time with all the concerts and it being really hot there. It was basically they were undoing the ice pretty much every week. So we were never practicing in that arena. We were always practicing at that, uh, that small ice, um, small little ice center that they have. So yeah, that was kind of tough to be honest, to be going back and forth. But when the ice was in, in Wichita, it was beautiful. It was just, it had to be settled for a couple of days type thing. But yeah, it was, it was tough just always readjusting. And I'm trying to think of anywhere else, but, but yeah, that was, that would probably be it. I mean, 
tough, tough to adjust to like soft and hard. It was, yeah, it was more the adjusting game. So last one from me, um, what is the craziest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm up? I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely remember off the top of my head. I know I lost my helmet, uh, in warmup last year. That was pretty ridiculous. But, uh, other than that, I'm trying to think of anything, anything that got me real bad. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've slipped on a puck in warm up and probably paid the fine, uh, for that in the room. But, uh, other than things like that, I can't really think of anything absolutely outrageous that, uh, I mean, actually, now that I think of it, just to throw in a quick Rob Murr one. Uh, <laughs> when we were in um, we we're in Colorado, he'd always rip me for not blocking shots and stuff. So uh, he would kind of – I was basically trying to make it a thing that, you know, he doesn't rip me any, anymore for that. And I was doing everything I could that game to block every shot I could. And as it happens, I, I go up to the point and – off a face off and the guy just squeaks one through my legs i don't know how it got through to this day i am still confused how that puck got through but it got through um as i get to the bench this puck goes in and uh, as i get to the bench i'm like fuck me man like fucking <laughs> one you miss one you miss today and you know like come on you know i'm just talking to myself and kind of pissed off and I'm just, you know, I just go like, how the, where the fuck did that go? And as I say that, Rob is right behind me. And he, he hears that and just looks down at me, taps me on the shoulder and goes, I'll tell you where that fucking puck went. Back of the net, kiddo. You're sitting on the <laughs> bench for the rest of the game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was devastated. I was devastated. It was, that was probably the most embarrassed I've ever been in my career. I was just. I thought I was doing everything I can and just rattled up myself, speak to myself on the bench, ended up getting sat for the rest of the game. So yeah, that oh, was, uh, Rob was one. pretty harsh. Yeah. Rob was pretty harsh on me, man. He was a hell of a character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hope, like I said, I hope you guys can get him on the show because he's, he's funny, man. He's very funny. So uh, just to kind of wrap up here, I know it could be kind of a broad general question, but what has been your favorite hockey memory career or hockey memory in your career thus far? Um, I'd say um, my probably my best best ever would be the uh, winning in junior and second overtime uh, game seven double overtime was one of the wildest experience I'll ever ever witness or you know experience in my life that. The atmosphere in that building, like I said, we sat five and a half thousand. There was probably seven thousand people in that building that night. It was they had sold standing standing tickets wherever you can. It was just an unbelievable atmosphere. And to win in double overtime was just a cherry on the top. It was something that basically movie ending. And it was really uh, to happen to us was, you know, something that I will forever cherish. And obviously that that Challenge Cup win in Sheffield was beautiful and it was for a, for a first pro win. It's something again, other than, other than that Ramuski win, I would definitely put that challenge cup win at, at the close second. Well, we can't thank you enough. We know that you got to run um, and we're just about out of time too. So we can't thank you enough. We'll say goodbye real quick off air, but um, on air, we're so happy to have you on and uh, look forward to uh, following your next uh, adventure and your next team. Yeah. Thank you. Man. I really 
yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Honestly, it was a pleasure. And I know uh, timing wise and stuff, you guys had to make it work. So it was uh, really cool on your guys' part. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. I'm going to stay muted, by the way. All right, Andrew. Yeah, man. What do you think? Great, great, great guest. Great stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have on those players. And, you know, um, always good to feel like we're being involved with EIHL again, man. I'm excited for uh, – hopefully he signs overseas again, man. Hopefully he doesn't have to deal with the jungle and can be back in Europe playing where he you know, feels more comfortable at with his game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I hope for him, he's back in the elite league, uh, just because it's a, it's, it's a good place to be. It's very competitive. And like he said, uh, you know, he'd be more than happy to, to go back to the UK, even though the Sheffield door might've closed. Uh, but you never know in the future like that. And I'm glad that, you know, we were, he was able to clarify and, and do anything that he wanted to uh, concerning his uh, suspension over there. So uh, good for him. We wish him the best of luck and we've got plenty of more hockey talk coming your way uh, next week. Yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate everybody tuning in today and uh, this will be down the road. It's kind of weird how we record these at like, we've got several that are in the pocket. Like as an example, this is we're, record, we're recording this August 4th or August 5th. So, you know, right. this will be released later in time, but uh, we appreciate everybody again tuning in and hope you enjoy the next upcoming guests. Absolutely. Take care, everyone.